Hi, and welcome to Beyond Well. I'm Sheila Hamilton. We have passed the 200th episode mark of Beyond Well. 200 shows. We have had some incredible episodes. So we want to make sure you've had a chance to hear them all. We have gathered up a few of our best episodes on depression, and we're going to highlight them in the next few weeks. But first, we want to thank our sponsor, Active Recovery TMS, your choice for TMS in the Pacific Northwest. There is no reason for anyone to suffer from treatment-resistant depression with the technology of transcranial magnetic stimulation now available and covered by most insurances. For more information or to figure out if you qualify for treatment, go to activerecoverytms.com. As we highlight past episodes we've done on depression, let's revisit our discussion with the amazing Scott Erickson. I'm Sheila Hamilton. Welcome back to Beyond Well. This is a program for people who want to learn more about their interior lives. And every single week, we do a little bit more to add one more tool to the emotional toolbox. I'm joined every week by Dr. Jenna Lejeune and Dr. Brian Goff. Hello, you two. Nice to meet Brian you. has a really fast car. Well, it's not mine yet. And I hope it won't be too fast because then I won't be able to afford it. My insurance will go up. I love the fact that it's all electric, though. It just makes me hopeful for the future. I don't know. I don't know. Less hopeful than driverless cars, however. You know, get right around the corner. Exactly. I know. It's happening. This is, I think this is the podcast that all of us have been waiting for. Because Scott Erickson, when we saw your video, what? Oh, I just... (laughs) I'm just going to take that compliment and <laughs> no, save it for later. No, soak it oh, up. Wow. I, I, I'm serious. When all of us saw your video, we were like, what the hell is going on? Mm. And where has this guy been all of my life? In, Honestly. In obscurity. That's where I've been. <laughs> but you, my, my niece in California, she's going to love this, Shelly. Shelly no. is a big fan. And she said, Scott is actually in Portland and he's doing this show. You got to go. Mm. And so I grabbed one of my kiddos. Yeah. And I came down mm-hmm. and then I chased you down through the crowd and said, I know you don't know me, but I got this podcast and we got to talk and <laughs> yeah. you need to do this. <laughs> no, I remember that moment. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Were you thinking, I wonder if this guy's stable when he, when he like <laughs> oh, pounced yeah. on you like that? No, 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 no. I think, we had, I think we had a long conversation for a bit. It wasn't super quick. I think yeah, you yeah. Tell me what you did, and we talked for a bit. And yeah. yeah, yeah. Because because we started out, I started out thinking that you were doing something that was grounded in religion. It's not that at all. It's about spirituality. It's about being awake. Yeah. But it's definitely from your own personal perspective. Yeah, I'm. For me, what's helpful, I I had to define these terms: spirituality and religion. Yeah. And for me, spirituality means. Uh, making what's invisible visible mm. and then religion is the rituals practices rhythms you develop around that visibility um and those can become very like identity oriented so a lot of times when we're discussing with religion with people we're discussing about how they find their own safety in the world yeah but uh the spirituality is like yeah it's a little bit more mysterious and it's kind of like uh, there's there's all all these hidden things that we don't know how to um, really talk about, but people throughout law of, you know, we have a tradition of spiritualists or people who are writers and monks and priests and 
all different kinds of, or just even crazy people, mystics out in the wilderness, yeah. who are describing these kind of hidden, this hidden life that's 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 affecting their outward life, and um, and, and so I, I wanted to make something about that. So my my show is called Say Yes, a liturgy of not giving up on ourselves, and uh, I say, you know, Carl Jung, as you probably know, uh, he said uh, that spirituality and psychotherapy are almost the same thing. At least I heard this quote somewhere. Holy crap, that's me being Oh, annoying. look at that. That's okay. Oops. She's a professional. Yeah. We're all no, professional here. it's not, honestly. Oh my God, this is like, this is real life. This is dealing with my mother at the same time oh, yeah. I'm doing yeah, a podcast. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of spiritual. <laughs> yeah, yeah right? sign. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so Carl Jung. Carl Jung was saying. Yeah, yeah I, I heard this quote. He said, uh, Maybe somebody quoted him, or I don't know if it's an exact quote, but he said, spirituality and psychotherapy are almost the same thing. And I wanted, when I started kind of taking uh, notes on my life and what was happening, um, I was like, these are definitely like mental health practices that I'm doing, but they're also tied with kind of a spiritual perspective. And 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 I was like, are those separate? Do they have to be compartmentalized? And why, actually, maybe it'd be better to present them intertwined. Wow. Yeah. Honestly, everything I've ever thought was wrong about the mental health industry you just described. Really? Because it feels like it extracts a lot of spirituality from it mm. to go through the process of what they ask people to do, not what you guys do. What you guys do <laughs> is exactly in line. We're obviously <laughs> ahead of the game. Yeah. Yeah. This is no. everything that's wrong with you, Jenna. No, no, no. But, but because I had a very, like, disastrous run-in with a with the mental health industry and the way it was mm -hmm. it took apart a the personhood from the person i loved and said you're sick mm -hmm. and you're over here and you're different from other people right now and i it felt so wrong and you just described to me how you piece yourself back together and uh, actually what we try to do here which is say we all have these issues mm -hmm some degree or another yeah yours is not giving up on yourself means that you've probably had the thought before of giving up on yourself so you're dealing at a different resonance right yeah um i have had so i my first kind of real breakdown i actually worked at a church as a pastor and i uh i, I burned out and my burnout for me actually looked at it was actually a couple weeks after easter so close to like where we're at now which, you know, you're doing a lot nonstop. And then it's I was the just, Super Bowl. Yeah. And I was just like in the office. We all used to work at this one big table. And I was just sitting at the table on my laptop. You know, the way we do the Lord's work is on our laptops. And I just heard this inaudible sound of like breaking glass and just kind of everything that held me together just started falling apart. And I oh just started God. crying at my computer. Wow. And Paul, uh, a coworker, was like, Are you okay? And I was like, I'm really tired. And I don't really know why I get up any morning, get up in the morning anymore. Mm. And I, my counselor therapist at the time, who I started going to, she's like, sound like you had a, you know, you started having a depressive episode brought about by burnout. And so I, I went into like depression for a good year and a half and uh, ended up leaving that job for a number of different reasons, but ended up working for this large company which had really good health care. And so <laughs> it gave me a chance to like, not like be able to go to work and then leave it there. And it gave me good health care that I could start going to a counselor for the first time and spend more time looking at the stuff that's invisible. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that those were really helpful tools 
um, and and a helpful time. And then I think I've always been interested in that. I mean, I, I think my work as a creative is like you're always what's the thing behind the thing behind the thing. And mm. uh, I I do do find myself very interested in like should I keep making art or should I go into like psychology and somehow because just like how we work is really fascinating. Um, but I I definitely. I think as I've talked to a few doctors or therapists who've come to my show, um, they've been like, this is great. We talk about all this stuff mm-hmm. in what we do. And I was like, yeah, but I'm not presenting it as a clinician. I'm presenting it as a person who goes to therapy. <laughs> like I'm, yeah. I'm like, a. this is what I've learned by doing this. And I'm presenting it as an artist, not as like, oh, uh, this is my job. You but- know, just a, a little clue that the clinician and the person who goes to therapy are often the same person. <laughs> That's right. I know. Dirty little secret of it's ours. It's true. It's true. So, At least the good ones are. <laughs> I, I love how you use the word liturgy. So talk about the origin of that word and why it works in the form that you're presenting this art. Yeah. Um, okay. I'm a storyteller, so can I take a couple steps back? Yeah. So I uh, got asked to speak. At, there's this group called Christians and Visual Arts started in the 70s they were created it was started to help like churches have ch- art on their walls and and they're good and they're and they're a great delightful group I got asked to speak just a small little part at this conference in in Grand Rapids Michigan so I went there and uh I'm with I'm at this conference and it was just like academic after academic getting up and like basically reading their like paper mm. oh. and there was such this like this is so important, uh, it, you know, because it, it's true and it's valuable. And I just wanted to be like, hi, are there any crazy people here? This is an artist conference, right? Like, cause <laughs> I don't know who you are, but I'm not an artist because I'm like, like I'm a haunted person. Are there any other haunted people here? Like I wanted Doc Brown like character from Back to the Future to be like, hi, I make this stuff, and uh, I just got out of the woods. Here's what I made. Thank you. You know, I like, because that feels more like the tribe I'm part of, not this like, we wrote papers about why this is important. And so, and then that led me to go, actually, I feel that way about most of church. Mm. Um, is, it's, it's, isn't it wild? It, it feels like when I engage with these like Hebrew scriptures that they're about really wild and interesting and dynamic situations, but it just gets watered down or made safe in a lot of ways. And, and so then I, I was like, you know, we make all these liturgy. So liturgy just means the work of the people. That's all it means. It's so it's like, it's the process of making a form for like a service or a ritual. It's like, and, and really Everything's invented. You can do whatever you want. Um, but we were part of a long tradition of other human beings who've been practicing this. And so we know when we sing together, that does something to us. And mm. so that's why there's this tradition of singing. But we, we, what we do is we confuse the mechanics for the essence. The mechanics are just there to help us get to the essence. But mechanics you can control. And so people become obsessed about mechanics. And if the mechanics don't bring you to the essence anymore, like you need to move on and change that. And... I I just started going, are there, what if, I, I don't know, I just was like, I want to make like weird liturgies. I want to make, li- I've never been to a church service about depression. So my first kind of one-man show is called uh, We Are Not Troubled Guests, which is a David White line. Mm. We're talking about poet David White. And it's called The Gift of Your Existential Crisis. And so I made this kind of storytelling night about 
what happens when how you think things work falls apart and then something unexpected changes your perspective on everything. And I had like a mystical experience. That's kind of the end of my show is I share this weird thing that changed my life. Um, and so then this one was like, I want to make something that's about like a liturgy of suicide. Cause I was like, I've never been to a church service on suicide. Yeah. You know, I've never, I've never gone to like a Catholic compline service and they're like, Dear God, thank you for the gift of life. We will not put a noose around our neck. You know, like I, I was like, are there any songs or services about this? And and yet I know I had been in, I had had to confront my own conversations with suicide. Mm-hmm. And I say this in the show. I was like, there's a spectrum of dying. Like you can, you can give up and die in a lot of simple ways. Like I have a relative who's just spent the last, you know, spent most of his life watching five hours of television a night. And now he's in his seventies and he's like, I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have done that. And it's like, mm. you could have, you yeah. had time. Right. Yeah. You know, but what was the thing that made you shut down and go, I just, you know, I'm looking for something to numb the pain or um, distract yeah, when, me. In, you in know? my world, you know, when people, when people do these things that aren't really moving toward anything they care about, but it's just trying to get away from stuff they don't like. It's, it's lost on them that when you try to get away from the things that you don't like, you're getting away from everything, Mm. you know, and you detach from that. It's kind of a package deal. Yeah. Right. And so if you're getting lost watching five hours of TV a night because you're haunted by insecurities or anxieties or whatever, then you're also missing the opportunity to do something that feels meaningful. It's mm-hmm. also just, I think you you touch on this, that it's, there's so many ways in our modern society to do it. It's drugs, it's mm-hmm. Netflix, mm-hmm. it's drinking, it's uh, texting incessantly. It's like the yeah. technology has given us more and more ways to actually yeah. not be present with ourselves, right? Yeah. Because it's horrifying when you get with yourself and you're like, it's like this w- tidal wave of un, unconversed conversations are like waiting for you. Like, we've been waiting to talk to you. You're like, no, not, oh no, where's my phone? <laughs> distraction, distraction. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, so the catalyst for me was I, my wife, um, came to me. So my, I'm Scott the painter on Instagram, social media, because like when I was trying, I'm Scott Erickson, I was trying to find like inter, internet real estate and there's like a lot of Scott Erickson's in the United States. So it was all taken. So I picked this painter, uh, uh, tag and, uh, my wife was like, you know, you are a painter, but I think you're actually a lot more than that. This was like this is a few years ago, and that just like hit me because hmm. she was like, I think that that label's limiting you, and I had to like think about what I was trying to get through to in art making, and I realized that I was actually probably a lot more of a performing artist mm. than I was of of a um, like just a studio artist, and I uh, my like creative hero. This is all in the show. My creative hero is like a year younger than me. And I had this experience where I put my kids to bed one night and then I walked into our living room and I just found that I was like crying, not because I had a magical moment with my kids, but I just was crying and I tried to stop myself and I couldn't. And there's this, I just sobbed. I went into my bathroom and I sat on my toilet for like an hour and I just (sighs) cried. And I realized what was happening is like, I was grieving the loss of a dream, which is, I wish I would have known myself who I wanted to be at 18 and I'm just figuring it out at 39 Mm. and I'm Mm. grieving the loss of like those 20 years. Mm. 
But what I was being confronted with was like, well, I could start now. And then this is when the voice of giving up or fear, I said, came to me and was like, nobody gives a shit about a 40-year-old trying to become a performance artist. And I was like, that sounds really legit. Um, (laughs) You know, it sounds embarrassing to watch somebody who's midway through their life try to do something like that because it seems like a younger person's game or something. So I I actually started listening. I remember a moment because I just had lots of self-talk. And I just went, what? what is your argument? And I wrote down kind of what I was hearing myself say to myself, wow. which is like these three things. And I said, these must be the doorways that I need to go through because these are the things that keep getting said over. These are the things that are slamming in my face. So these are the things I have to develop pivots or practices against. Talk about those three things because I think that they are likely things that a lot of people yeah. Yeah, have to mo- go through. Yeah, um, the way that I would phrase them is nothing's going to change. Nothing new will ever happen. So the same miserable day, the same miserable feeling, it's, that's going to be uh, your reality for the rest of your life. And just thinking about doing that for like 40 more years sounds uninviting. So, um, And then uh, you suck and are ugly. <laughs> It's it really personal. For That's a twofer. I know, I know. Uh, and I say this in the show, you suck and are ugly. And what it's saying is like, there's something wrong with you. You don't have what it takes to get to where you'd like to go. And there's a, the thing that's wrong with you is actually you're not in control of changing. Mm. There's something about you you can't change. And that's always going to prevent you from getting to where you hope to go. Mm. And then um, the last one I say, dying, dying is better than living, which is um, I think a lot of it is, it's, it, it uh, and I say, and I propose this like dying's on a spectrum. It can mean to like numb yourself, but it also can be like, and just want to kick out. And in my lowest moments, I've never, like I've, I don't think I'll kill myself. I don't plan on doing it. But I have had, I've had days where if I was crossing a street and I and and I was going to see that a bus was going to hit me, I'd be like, oh, thank God. Oh, man. You know, like, I've heard like that's so many times before. Yeah, yeah didn't you, you know. Like, didn't you say, Brian? Like, it's so common that it's like one in three will say in the yeah, confines like of an that. office that it's it's that common to have that. I I wouldn't shoot myself, but man, if that bus could take me out, whew, I'd be. Well, so you know, one in one in three people seriously consider taking their life in an yeah. active way. So I have to assume sort of that passive, like if I got a cancer diagnosis, I wouldn't try to stop it. Uh-huh. Or here comes a bus, I, I won't move too fast. Yeah. And there's something I don't know how to control and I'm just trying to find a way to control it. Jen, I talk about that because Brian's put it, yes. t- t- said before that there is some some way of like existential avoidance is yeah. the biggest, like yeah. I really don't want to have to deal with that and so I'm just going to check out. But there's all these different degrees before you get there that I don't think people might recognize as suicidality. Yeah, I mean, this idea of experiential avoidance, it's it's not that, you know, we're taught that that's actually what we're supposed to do. Like, our culture teaches us that if you're experiencing some pain or some suffering— you're supposed to do something to get rid of it mm. or avoid it. And mm. so it's not like, of course, that's what people are doing. Because like that's that's what the message has been, huh. including the message in most of mental health. And so we're like scrambling around all trying to be good little boys and good little girls doing the thing that we're told that we're supposed to do, which is if you want to live a good life, it starts by feeling good. Mm. And... 
and kind of from the perspective that Brian and I come from, we sort of start ass backwards maybe. Like mm. we're much more interested in helping people. Like what would it mean for you to live well? And then, yeah, if you're living well, if you're living a life that's in line with what's most meaningful for you, it's not like all the suffering is going to go away, but there's a whole lot more life there, a whole lot more meaning there that kind of makes the suffering sort of worth it in some way. Mm. I, I imagine that when people are at their lowest and they're lacking imagination for their own best life, sure. that even answering that question is difficult. Well, I don't know. I just feel awful. I can't even get out of bed. How would I know what my best life is? So absolutely. how do you get them to that next point? Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things that that I will do when, when I'm talking about this idea in ACT, we call this values. So values are kind of what I describe it as Values are how you're living when you're living a meaningful life. They're not your beliefs. They're not your morals. They're like ways of living in the world. And everybody is valuing something right now. Like, Scott, you're valuing something by being here. I'm valuing something by being here. So if somebody can't, is at a place where they're so shut down that they don't know what they would choose to value, that's okay. Mm -hmm. So let's start with what are you valuing? So, mm. oh, so right now... You're valuing getting rid of your pain. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. And if you got to choose from absolutely everything in the world, is that what you would choose to make most important? Or is there something else that might provide more meaning for you? Hmm. What was the That's answer? That's so helpful. Isn't it? I know. <laughs> I'm stealing that. I'll quote you when absolutely. I talk to people about it. <laughs> what did you decide ultimately what your values were what what did you decide to step into when you made it through each of those doors did you just say I'm going to be the curator of awesomeness or was that after you just took one <laughs> tiny step did it wrote things on little cards scribbled shit yeah got further and further into who you are today yeah that's funny you mentioned curator of awesomeness that's what I my title I love it uh, because I got I got laid I got laid off. The reason my wife and I ended up here in Portland is I got a job at a design agency, and then through their own problems financially, I got laid off like seven months later, and I found myself unemployed, the mm. breadwinner of a family of four, mm. wow. and I was like, I need to come up with some kind of title. What do I do? And I just started putting that as a joke, and then I started getting in. Like now, it's I get introduced that way, which is great. Which. Uh, and this is what I responded to you because you, you were like, are you a pastor? Yeah. I was like, I'm not a pastor. But I was like, I am a curator. And curate is uh, an old term for the priest who was in the midst of the community who ran the rituals, births, deaths, marriages, and then kind of the like uh, the year, the seasonal year. And they were the one who kind of maintained those rituals. And so I was like, ooh, I resonate with that. Wow. The curator. And, and then awesomeness is and so uh, tied in with wonder um, is which mm -hmm. which is what I want to do. So what I my pivots are um, nothing's going to change is um, unknowing is a doorway to wonder. So the thing that's happening is like your tool of familiarity. That almost just made me cry. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Now your familiarity uh, mm -hmm. tool is getting in the way. You're like, I know everything about my life. Nothing's new. My spouse is boring. I'm boring. Nothing's new. And it's this, a, the moment you just start asking yourself, what don't I know? Mm -hmm. 
just ask yourself that question. It opens up all this possibility. And, and so wonders are real. Uh, I run through this thing about wonder. Um, and that was my own, like paying attention to my narratives and my self-talk and going, when do you break out of narratives? You break it and, uh, you break out when you're like living in the moment when you're really there. And Joseph yeah. Campbell, it's a, it's a paraphrasing of him because I think people want to know what the meaning of life is. And that's not really what they're looking for. What they're really looking for is the rapturous experience of being alive. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like, mm. so the meaning of life is a knowing answer. Yeah. The rapturous experience of being alive is a wonder yeah. experience. Mm-hmm. I know? love the way that in your show you talk about wonder and present moment. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you list off these things that are uh, the things that you just love. And you talk about like rolled up socks. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Right. And the smell of low tide. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I was telling Jenna, I've got a friend who I, I say um, that... Uh, she appreciates the B side of the album. Mm. You know, like mm-hmm. if she were to go to some amazing destination with a huge, you know, someplace in, you know, uh, Paris or something, everyone else has taken pictures of that. Mm-hmm. And she's down with her phone taking a picture of a little flower that's grown through the cracks in the mm. sidewalk and yeah. just being like, my God, that is so cool. Yeah. And that sort of attention to the wonder in the mundane, mm-hmm. um, that it's like words like meaning and value and purpose are often they're so important but the word makes it sound so grand and so Mm -hmm. distant so like someday i'll get to like my life's meaning or my life's purpose Mm -hmm. and and when i know people who are living in it it's it's like the moment to moment stuff that it's like, no, this is the shit. Yeah. This is it right here. Yeah, this here. is rapturous. I, I I love that word because I think people want to imagine like Roman theater and lions and big, big circusy yeah. things happening yeah. with rapturous. Yeah. And in fact, like it is about how light falls. Yeah. It is something so quiet sometimes. Yeah. But what I want to ask is I have talked with so many people who, when they're in a really depressed phase, when they're not able to actually cope with what's going on in their life, they lose those moments, those tiny things that build our lives, that thread them together. They lose the ability to see them. That's it. That's it. They don't lose them. They lose the ability to see them. And so it's like Scott has this image in his his talk or talks about this idea of being in a dark sky reserve. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's this idea that when the suffering of life comes upon us and it obscures our ability to see the wonder that is this infinite possibility that's mm-hmm. above us. Mm-hmm. All of that is still there all of the time. And it's my job as a therapist or as somebody who loves that person who is in that place of darkness and suffering to maybe help them see the possibility that that wondrous expanse is still above them. But it's not so many times when we get into those dark places, we buy that thought it's always going to be like this and mm-hmm. everything mm-hmm. is always everything. black yeah. mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it is black for you it absolutely is and it is also true that if you are able to have another perspective that vast expanse is still out there too mm. yeah yeah that's great i uh the 
I describe depression, you know, and I know depression is an interesting animal because it can be a real yeah. phys- just your chemicals to experiential, but um, all, depression is the ultimate disconnection from all of your emotions. It's Absolutely. Just like, so it's not that you yes. don't feel yes. sadness, you're just like not even connected to sadness at all. You're yeah. just like, it's yes. like just, just wake up and you're yeah. like, I don't think yeah. there's nothing for me today. So I've been, because when you speak about things, people come, and I'm not a, I'm just a person who's gone to therapy, but I, I, uh, <laughs> I, the thing that I've been telling people, uh, a couple people contacted me through Instagram, and I, and I was saying my practice has been to really get into my body, because I, yeah. I yes. want to try to figure it out with my mind, and that's not ever the solution. Mm-hmm. So when I travel and say I do three shows in a row, I get back. And I've got three kids. So there's a lot going on. But the night I get back, I'm usually okay. The next day, I'm really tired. Mm. The next day, I'm depressed. And I know that day, mm-hmm. like, and maybe even for a couple of days, mm. like, don't make any life decisions. <laughs> <laughs> don't have to, like, do a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And I do things like I go swim laps That's or go awesome. on a walk yeah. or I yeah. eat some nachos because uh-huh. nachos are a doorway Perfect. to God. Yeah. And I preach or, it. You know, or I'll and I'll or I'll watch something, or I'll hold my baby, or yes. it's mm-hmm. all very like physical things because yes. my mind is a piece of shit at that time. It's just yeah. like you suck and nothing's gonna work out and no work's ever gonna. It's just saying all this yeah. stuff, or it's like you know, it's all over, whatever. So I just it's like getting into that physicality really. Yes, because life absolutely. only happens in this moment. Yeah. yeah. And if you're experiencing your five senses, those only occur in this moment. Yeah. And so it's sort that's of right. that's one thing I'll talk with my clients about is like, hey, it like if you are able to be in your body and experience your five senses, that's the quickest way to get back into life. Everything up in your head is virtual reality. Mm. Totally. You know, one of the things that I really appreciated, first of all, that you came up with the curator of awesomeness at the time when you were like unemployed and felt dejected and now you've become on that. Food, on pretty food cool. Stamps. Uh-huh. Yeah. Pretty <laughs> yeah. cool. Yeah. I think we should all do that. Come up with our titles at yeah. our lowest point, you know? Yeah. And secondly, when you go out and you're speaking to young people, they don't have this breadth of experience that you do in terms of, oh, all right, I've been through this enough times to know that on my third day I'm always yeah. trashed. Yeah. So when they begin to feel this disconnectedness, they think it's real. Mm. And like the, what I see is like the increase in the teen suicide rate and, and for young people is that the lack of knowing, the lack of understanding their body and that, oh, this is familiar. Mm-hmm. I've been through that before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to get mm-hmm. through it. So how do you speak to that? Uh, that is, that specific reason is because uh, you suck and are ugly. It my um, pivot to that is I got to move from comparison to contribution. Because mm. compare that what a, you suck and are ugly is like you're not good enough. Other people are getting there. You have something missing out, and it's a very comparison thing. And we are in this. I call it a massive culture of comparison. Um, and I I walk through social media because I was like, look, I get it. A lot of you are here because of social media. You mm. follow me. But here's where it goes wrong, and I just kind of run through some funny scenarios. And what is – it's like you're, there's this curated reality, but our very messy, real, smelly, crowded reality can never accomplish that. And when you're – and I'm 
to people listening, I'm making a motion of like swiping your hands on your phone. Yeah. When you do that habit every single day, all day long, you're backing up a narrative that says there's no real place for me to be successful wow. as me in the world. Because yeah. you're just I love looking, how you were like, you're just looking you. at yeah. somebody else's success, and you're not you're not privy to their own like self hatred and vector and failures, and you know because they're presenting right. this curated reality. And so the move is you really have to go. And I got this from Rosemond and Tom Zander. I can't remember the, his name. Uh, they wrote this book called uh, The Art of Possibility. But one of them is just say, like, I am a contribution. And and my, that really helped me to go, oh, yeah, I need to move from comparison to contribution. Mm. So what is and, – and what I say contribution is it can be products, but I think that's the evidence of doing this work. It's more of, like, what do you love and why, which is we call that gratitude – so it's it's like f- focusing on gratitude, but also like what do you love and why, and really getting into the deep, the nitty gritties of that, and um, and getting really specific, and then and then allow your life to be that kind of contribute to that every day. Wow. Um, and because some days it can contribution means like walking up the stairs endlessly with my one year old because that's his yeah, greatest thing. Yeah. And the calculating self. The the male self that wants to find his identity and his accomplishment screams while I'm doing that about how meaningless that is. Yeah, there's this, a this is real talk. This is me t- to yesterday. You know, yeah. like no, for sure. going. I I have such great. I could be a real somebody. I have something to give, and I'm stuck in this house. Helping this baby up the stairs. Do you understand? You know, like that. Yeah. That is yeah. the shouting. Yeah. In me. The uh, um, the the one of the uh, developers of this therapy that Jenna and I work from called Acceptance and Commitment Therapy or ACT. His name's Steve Hayes, and and he uh, is famous for saying, um, "I used to think that my mind was the most important part of my body until I realized who was telling me that." It's actually a joke. By by Emo Phillips, he stole it. By oh, the way, stole it. <laughs> so yeah. Emo Phillips has this That's joke. A funny joke. <laughs> Emo Phillips has a joke that Steve Hayes sometimes tells oh, that I retold. Well, I was just I give was credit just, where credit is due. Thank huh? you very much. I was listening to Chris speak, and I was just thinking, like, one of the fascinating things is that those of us who have gone to therapy and love therapy and learned from our brilliant therapists, one of the things that I was struck by is wow, your like knowledge, your self-awareness, what you've been through, your story is in fact its own brand of professionalism. Like you could be a therapist to other people, like a therapist for the masses. And I think that this, this experience base that we all carry is fascinating. And we've talked before about how important it is when therapists actually say, Oh yeah, I've been through that. Like, yeah, oh yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh yeah, I let me tell you. You want to talk depression? Yeah. yeah. And I think that that's kind of what I'm struck by here. It's like, oh wow, you guys have these titles. You have your own self-made title, which I love. But really, <laughs> we all have this degree of professionalism because we've experienced yeah. our own lives, yeah. right? That's right. And yeah, there that's isn't right. a single life that's not that important. Yeah. I love that you said that because so oftentimes I'll have clients who say, well, I mean, you, you went to school and you learned this. I've lived it yeah. as though I couldn't have gone to school and learned about it and lived it. Yeah. Right. Like we're all in the soup. Right. Exactly. But to your point about Scott's um, 
knowledge base and his self-awareness. I'm sitting over here thinking like, man, this is so deep. Whoever's listening to this, people, if you're listening to this, listen twice <laughs> because he's sort of, he's the curator of awesomeness, but there's also like your philosopher. Yeah. I mean, well, uh, I'm, oh, thank you. I'm trying to figure out how to do it. You know, like we all are. <laughs> like right? I'm, fi- I'm yeah. figuring out how to, the, the gift I can give to my children is to get healthier and and be around for them. Mm-hmm. So I have yeah, they're frightening conversations. They're not that scary to me. I just go, "Oh, something's just really loud and scary cuz something's not working right now and I need to understand and and I'm and I like right I'm learning how to do this kind of like travel consistent travel and and there's a real physical side to it. That's right. You know, just sitting in planes and I've just noticed, like, I immediately just put my headphones in, like, the whole day I'm traveling just because I'm like, I don't want to talk to you. I'm, it's not even I don't want to talk to people. I'm just tired of people's dumb conversations. <laughs> and, being, and I was just like, I just have to listen to this all day? I don't want to listen to this. Just because you bought seat 2B? Yeah. Jeez. Like, I, yeah. <laughs> what so, they do to deserve that? So, uh, but, yeah, I, 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 uh, I think in... Yeah, I'm just I'm I wanting to be I want to make it and I want to be healthy and so I'm having to dive into these things and I know I know there's the my tendency to numb is there too and I and I'm just trying to be aware of that but th- I appreciate that it's good it makes me like I think I'm on a I'm on a right track no doubt um, and then I will not to get back to like my stuff but I just I did <laughs> you asked me about the three things the one that's like dying's better than living. And this is where I think the kind of culmination of uh, mental health and spirituality come together is, uh, yeah, you got to let it die so something new can come about. That's what you're really looking for. Like something's not working mm. and that needs to die. And in the in any kind of wisdom, spiritual language, we say, yeah, something needs to die so then a resurrection can happen. Yeah. So something new can come about. And, and you can't the only way to go through that is you have to let this thing die Mm. and so and i say at the end i was like i have to let i had to let a dream die which is knowing what who i wanted to be at 18 to get to the deeper desire which was now i'm being asked if i want to go down this route it's also fascinating though scott that that letting that dream die gave birth to this creation of who you are today you know like yes let's let all those dreams die yeah don't serve us yeah, and I think that's what we all, you know, I know it's really typical to have kind of like the midlife, I thought my life would be different, I thought I would be different, the person I thought I would be, I'm not that person, and you really have to learn how to say yes to the person you are, and but also go, but hey, there was this desire that's been given to you, I, I what I propose in the show is like, and I don't ask people to sign up on board to believe in a God, I just say if, really this is a conversation with existence, and if you want to give a name to the giver of that existence, you can. Mm. Uh, but so this is a conversation with the giver of our existence, which could be just happenstance or could be some divine. I, I think I even say it's if it is anything, it's love, mm. you know, and that God is love or it's love is giving you this thing. Um, mm. uh, and so because because I. Uh, uh, Jenna, you said something earlier that I just had a conversation with somebody because I had spoke at this college last week and I was like, do you guys know what this is about? They didn't. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. we're having a conversation about suicide uh, tonight. And But I was like, it's not about the act of suicide. It's about how do you get to the spot where you're like, 
I wish that bus would hit me. What's right. it's like the death by paper cuts. It's right. like what's all right. the little things that just mm-hmm. led you to a spot when you get there. And that's been my experience is just like it's these mm-hmm. little things that then get you to this kind of crisis place. Yeah. And going, well, and this show is a lot of things. It's like a storytelling show. It's like a mental health TED talk. But it's also a way to go like, I want you to develop practices. Yeah. Like we need practices, spiritual practices, mental health practices in our modern life and these, and at the end, when I talk to people, I'm like, these are not things I've mastered because I leave the three pivots up there. Yeah. I'm like, these are my weekly practices that I still do. I think they're daily. You know, yeah, when you're daily. doing that mm-hmm. thing with your baby, it's its own wild practice, right? Yeah. You know, it's yeah. that practice towards back in your body and what you're actually doing in that moment that's also beautiful, rapturous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, that one specifically, because my wife and I are both self employed. Our kids go to part-time school, and then we have a one-year-old baby around. Like, mm. every day is like, I need more time to work. And, uh, you know, I so nothing's going to change. I'm like, yeah, it is. In, like, two years, this will be dramatically different. It's just really tough right now. Mm-hmm. Like, year one is just hard. Yeah. And then, uh, well, what is the ways that I can contribute in small ways? And then, um, yeah, what I thought what would – life would be that's but here's what it is so this is where i have to engage all this stuff yeah, yeah. and one of, of the things i might think of is whether you're you know talking to that group of students or up giving your show or you're walking your baby my guess is is that what is meaningful for you like what you're trying to bring to each of those situations like maybe there's some consistency there. Like maybe the guy that you want to be as you're giving whatever it is you want to give during your show is the same thing you're wanting to be as you're helping your baby up those stairs. And I think if we can help people kind of connect to that idea that there is meaning and a consistency in what I call values across these different kind of activities that we can do with our life, then there doesn't have to be so much of this conflict of, yeah, but I'm supposed to be doing this other thing because that's the thing that has more meaning in it. Like you bring meaning to whatever it is that Mm, you're doing. You get to choose what meaning it is. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think we could talk to you for three hours, but you know, yeah. but you, there's a one-year-old probably who would um, like your attention I'm as well. fine. There's a guy <laughs> in 2B who wants to talk to somebody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, no yeah. doubt. Scott, I can't wait to see one of your shows. So how do people follow you and come learn more about your work? Yeah, I'm mostly on Instagram. Okay. Um, uh, still Scott the Painter? Scott the Painter. Okay. And I post all the Say Yes shows and just anything else I'm doing. Fantastic. Uh, through, yeah. Thank you so much You're for welcome. coming Thanks in. for Thanks having for me. Coming. Yeah, it was really yeah. wonderful. And that was the show. Thanks for your support of Beyond Well. If you like what you hear, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts and spread the word to your friends. If you want to reach me individually, you can always reach out at Sheila at Beyond Well Media. And I hope you make it a great day. Bora Health is a nonprofit alcohol and drug treatment center in Portland, Oregon, that has been helping youth, adults, and families for nearly 50 years. They offer compassionate, comprehensive, and affordable care for everyone, regardless of background, orientation, or ability to pay. Bora recently opened a new state-of-the-art campus in Portland's Southeast Gateway District, and the entire campus is healing and supportive. You can find out more about their full array of evidence-based therapies for drug and alcohol treatment at www.forahealth.org. 
If you or a loved one needs support, there are many options and personalized approaches to care. Reach out to Fora Health at 503-535-1151 or see the show notes for more details.